And it's funny you bring up football seven on seven. Brian Kelly came to see me six years ago. He goes, Mike, we got AAU football now. What do I do? <laughs> I said, Haha, welcome to my world. That's coach. really interesting. Yeah. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode here on You Think, presented by Audiorama, and as always, our friends at Invisalign. Again, we are joined by my producer, Tasha. Tasha, what is happening? How was your weekend? My weekend was good. I mean, you know, my friends and I had a game night and pretended like we were athletes and competed at the highest level. What'd you play? We played a Nerf gun game. Interesting. (laughs) Oh, I thought you meant like you played like Scrabble. So you you played like actual games, not like board games. Yeah, we played actual games. Like Interesting. Yeah. It was pretty fun. How was it? So, like, give us some detail. The viewers want to know what that was like. Um, some details are we kind of played Nerf Gun like as horse, like where someone has to. I do something with my agility and I shoot and aim, and if I get it, you know, I get a point. And I would just want to say that um, I was great at this game. I was. Are you a stellar athlete? Tell our viewers how good of an athlete you are. <laughs> I, They're dying to know. You know, just talking about the aim of the Nerf gun, it was pretty pretty <laughs> impressive. I'm not sure if you had an impressive athletic weekend with your family ability, but I really got to show off mine this weekend. So, Well, I'm very proud of you. Thank you. I'm very glad you scratched that itch of your athletic uh, dreams and your, your Nerf gun horse game. Thank uh, you. We had, a, we had a mixed bag a weekend. We actually went to... Pigeon Forge, Tennessee with with my nine-year-old son's baseball team. So now if you're keeping track at home, that would be back-to-back travel ball weekends, one for each son. Uh, I don't recommend it. It makes for a long drives. Each drive was over four hours each way. Pigeon Forge, for anyone who hasn't been there, it's like the Cal Ripken experience. It is beautiful. Like these fields are built up on like this hill overlooking the mountains, all turf, really well done. But the area of Pigeon Forge is really, really interesting. It's like why you're kind of like driving down the street. You, it's like you're in Vegas if you were like 16. <laughs> so like, picture every meal is like the Dolly Parton impersonator show and dinner, and Wonderworks and go karts and putt putt golf and movie theaters, zip lining. Like it's a very, I mean, and I'm talking. The entire, there's like a strip. There's like a Las Vegas downtown strip. But in this Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, there is everything you can imagine. Every chain restaurant, every fast food restaurant, every store, shop, grocery, you name it. They have it. They must lead the world in putt-putt golf per resident. This sounds like a sponsored ad for Pigeon Forge. I'll tell you, well, not a sponsored (laughs) ad. That was a free feedback report. <laughs> but I would go back. I would go back in a minute. It was a great experience. We played some really cool teams, played two teams from Tennessee, played one team out of Georgia. Uh, we went one and two. We lost our first pool play game three to two. It was a tough loss there. We lost, We gave up a run in the sixth inning to lose by one. Bounce back Saturday night, one game two, which allowed us to advance into the bracket play on Sunday. And then we drew one of the, the better teams in the field. They beat us five to three. The boys were competitive. We ha- it was our first time taking the young team um, out of town. So they had a blast. They were excited. They much rather run around the, the cabins and, you know, go out to dinner and have a pizza party. The, the baseball was kind of secondary mm. for, for some of us. Well, yeah, when you're, when you're in Pigeon Ford, I mean, how? I mean, how, 
<laughs> how how can, can it not be? How could you how could you focus on baseball when there's putt putt golf and uh exactly alpine alpine coasters on every hill? <laughs> yeah. So that, that was our weekend. We got back late, late Sunday night, um, made the drive home and then back back on the grind Monday, you know, back back on the grind. So it was a losing record this weekend. Yeah, I wouldn't classify it as a losing record. Okay, um, how would you classify yeah, it as? Um, we're gonna just continue to move on. We're gonna just <laughs> we're gonna continue to move on, and we're gonna get better, and uh, we're gonna live another day. All right. Well, that's how I would classify it. Well, we have pretty crazy news spreading across, you know, all the outlets. I can bring to you. So basically. It's about the referee shortage. I'm not sure if anyone else has heard this, but yeah. according to the survey of National Association of Sports Officials, 57% of referees believe sportsmanship's getting worse, which is primarily attributed to the parents. And then in 2017, a survey found that 80% of officials, which is a lot, actually quit after two years. And so it's declared that this is a national referee shortage. And you know, a lot of youth sports are having trouble finding referees. I'm not sure if you have experienced that in Pigeon Ford. What do you think of this referee shortage? We we had great, we had a great experience with the officials, with the officiating and the referees, uh, the umpires down in uh, in Pigeon Forge. We, I, I have to say, when you go to a tournament and you play a weekend, regardless of the sport, and the referees or the umpires, whoever they are, whatever sport you're playing, they, they all love calling themselves something different. When you have a great experience with those guys or girls, it makes for such a more positive experience for everyone involved, right? And I've seen both sides of this of this spectrum, right? I've seen the umpires or the referees who show up, they're professional, they're, they're in charge of the game, the way they speak to the coaches, the way they speak to the kids, they're very professional, they're very direct, and they're in complete control, but they don't make it about themselves, right? They are there strictly to allow the kids and each team to have as positive an experience, keep the game on track, keep things balanced and fair and allow the game to be decided and played out at the hands of the kids, which is the ultimate goal for all of us, right? We want the kids to decide the game, not the umpires, not the coaches, not the parents screaming, like let the kids win or lose the game on their own accord. But then you also have those weekends, and we've had a lot of them recently, which makes sense. I, I, I had so many people send me what you just referenced, and there was mm. articles throughout the country talking about it. And I could see a little bit of a difference over these last six months. We've gone to a lot of tournaments and games where we've had umpires show up late. We've had umpires who didn't show. We, I had an umpire a couple of weeks ago at a baseball tournament. After the second inning, he'd left. He said he was overheated or something was wrong. So then the umpire in the field had to be the only umpire. There was nobody behind, you know, behind the catcher calling balls and strikes. So I've seen a little bit of a difference. I've also seen a lot of the umpires who show up and like they make the game about themselves. You know, every strike three is like a dance and a yell and a scream. And, you know, I've had umpires the other day in the field where like the opposing coach was trying to get a ruling. You know, he called time. He mm -hmm. was very respectful and calm. He walked out just trying to get an explanation and immediately the field umpire like jumped him and was like, if you don't get back, get back in the dugout, we're going to, and like the other coach was very calm and, and professional about it. He, he just, he did the normal protocol. And so I've seen a little bit of a shift and how much of that is, is related to, you know, the good umpires who want to do it the right way, maybe retiring or stepping aside and they're kind of backfilling it with maybe people new to the job, but the umpire has such 
a critical role into the experience of everybody involved, especially when you're talking, mm. you know, four or five games over the course of a weekend. Yeah. And have you seen like a lot of parents com- confronting refs or have you ever had to confront a ref as a coach before? I have, I, I have. I, I have. What I, does that I look like? <laughs> so I, I typically don't like do the yell across the field, yell across the court. I typically try to wait like between innings and I'll kind of walk around if, you know, we're in baseball. So I'll walk around in between innings when the kids are kind of changing, you know, guys are getting, you know, guys from the field are coming in the dugouts and everyone from the dugouts is taking their positions and the umpires kind of standing in the backstop, just kind of hanging. And I'll kind of walk down there and, you know, ask my question or kind of get an explanation. And, 90% of the time it goes fine. And, and it's just a conversation. No one else on the field even knows is being said, you know, what's being said, you know, but I have had a few times where you do go try to approach an umpire or a referee casually at halftime or in between innings or whatever it is. And they do get, they do get kind of amped up and they kind of do challenge you back. And then you have to make a decision. Do you want to continue to meet their hostility with further hostility and potentially elevate the situation? Or you just kind of take a step back and say, all right, I'm not going to let this escalate to something more. So Mm. sometimes the situation dictates itself. Um, I typically have not had a lot of issues with umpires. Um, I mean, again, have I had my fair share of sarcastic comments from coaching third base about it? Yeah, of course. But I, I, I could probably count less than one hand. How many times I've had a confrontation with an umpire over anything significant. It's not really my style. I, I got a lot of, I got a lot of other things on my plate trying to corral these young kids and make sure they know what the hell they're doing. Right. So for referees to start coming back to the game, like in your opinion, how do parents and coaches handle what they believe is a bad call? Yeah, I think there's a way you handle what a bad call is, right? And I think we just touched on it. You wait till there's a lull in play. There's a protocol based on the sport of how you, you know, speak to a ref or an umpire or, you know, ref or whatever it is, um, you know, you call in baseball, right? You kind of call time, you walk out, you speak directly, but, you know, just one-on-one with the umpire, then he can go behind the plate to the, to the head official and he can then either overturn or not, but there's like a manner in which you do it. And then if they don't, you know, if the call stays or stands or whatever it is, then it is, then you're just kind of arguing for the sake of arguing. And there's really no point to it. Um, you know, I think the the way the way these umpires, I think they can help themselves a little bit, but then I also think everyone involved in the game can make it a more positive experience, right? Ninety nine percent of these umpires are volunteers. They're not getting paid a lot of money. They're not making thousands of dollars. They're coming in there on a weekend to come in and officiate and referee and help young kids be able to hold the tournament and play games. I think parents need to keep that in mind. I know us coaches need to keep that in mind. For sure, my players never are allowed to confront or talk to an umpire. That is a strict no-no. The coaches will handle that. The players have to just worry about being players. Um, but yeah, I mean, we have to talk to sometimes parents that are affiliated with our team about, hey, if there's an issue, if there's a bad call, let the coaches handle it. We don't need people screaming from the bleachers. We don't need people yelling from the dugouts. Like, we are not having that on our teams. Um, and if there is a situation that needs to be discussed and there is a con- you know a controversial issue that comes up in the games, let the coaches handle the umpires directly as opposed to that umpire sitting there Hmm. and just feeling like there's a thousand voices just yelling at him from all sides. And it's some, it's hard for him to interpret which team, which side, and then, 
know, the last thing you want is, you know, to put yourself in a worse situation because now that umpire doesn't like your team, your parent yelled something insulting or a coach was disrespectful. And then he's saying, all right, yeah, I'm going to put the screws to you now because I don't like the way you're talking to me, right? Like at the end of the day, you don't want anything to ever impact the kids Hmm. and impact their ability to decide the game. And I think that's what we all have to keep in mind, even though at times it's very stressful and, and frustrating and you can lose that sense pretty quickly. And today on the show, we are thrilled to be joined by Notre Dame's head men's basketball coach, Mike Bray. Thanks as always to our presenting sponsor, Invisalign. Invisalign is the number one doctor trusted brand, having transformed 12 million smiles over the past 25 years. Invisalign gives you the opportunity to make a trusted decision that can continue to help build confidence for your child. Find your trusted provider at Invisalign.com or talk to your doctor today. So now please enjoy this conversation with the all-time winningest men's basketball coach in Notre Dame school history, head coach Mike Bray. Coach, I can't thank you enough. I sent you a text. We got connected to a mutual friend. I sent you a text. I was like, maybe he'll get back to me in the next couple of days. Within like five minutes, you texted me back that you would love to do it. And here we are. So I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us today on You Think. Well, I'm, I'm glad to be with you. And, and you know what, Greg, I had to get on with you. You've got a Notre Dame connection. And, uh, and I, as I told you, when we were kidding around before we started taping the show, I said, uh, you know, if I was a Notre Dame football coach, you never would have left because I would have put an NIL together that you could not refuse. <laughs> Man, I'll, I'll tell you, coach, it, it, who knows what the future would have, right. would have brought, but in those days, and we couldn't even get a free sandwich down the street. Yeah. Now these, now these kids are doing car dealership deals and signing NFTs. I mean, it, what a crazy world. And, and, and I want to touch about, and we're going to touch on a lot of that things. I know it's super relevant to the world you're living in right now, but as I was telling you before we started, when, when you brought that up, like I really enjoyed my time at Notre Dame. I got to really, you know, learn the school, be on campus a lot. When I was a high school senior, I had a, a brother who was friends with a former player of yours and a roommate, uh, Chris Quinn. They lived yeah. together at Notre Dame for a year. Um, so I was on campus a ton. I loved Tyrone Willingham, who at the time was the coach. But, you know, things happen for how they, you yeah. know, how they happen. And I ended up leaving to go to Miami. But I, I always have fond memories and relationships that I made. Um, you know, while my very short, my very short summer that I had at the school. Well, I mean, we, we, you know, when we watched you and what a great career you had, I loved watching you play at Miami and then in your NFL career. And I always kind of paid attention because I kind of thought, well, he's kind of a Notre Dame guy. So I'm going to yeah. watch and, and root <laughs> for him and congratulations on the career you've had. And, and I love what you're doing to try and help here and, 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 uh, get some information out and educate. Uh, on the youth sports level, because uh, it's an interesting climate right now that we have out there. Well, and, and that's for sure. And it's, and it's a perfect segue as we kind of jump into this. And, and as you mentioned, our whole goal here at You Think is to kind of have a different conversation. It's to have a conversation with parents, coaches, you know, what are the best practices for not only guiding your particular child, but also maybe guiding your team. You're a coach, you're a high school coach, a, a youth coach. Now, in, in this case, we're so fortunate to talk to you who's coaching at the highest level of collegiate sports and just get better understanding and better resources for these families. So, so I'm just going to jump right into it. The, the idea of the college landscape, and I know for a lot of our, of our listeners, they have children that are entering into high school and now college is becoming, you know, real top of mind. And, you know, when I was growing up, college didn't really, the idea of college and going on to play sports didn't really start until I was a sophomore, junior in high school. Now you see it, you know, you know, in all sports, football, basketball, 
you know, kids are starting to get, you know, recognized and highlighted in middle school. There's 14 U summer camps and academies and all this. So, you know, you've been doing this for a very long time. You, you took over at Delaware, your first head coaching job in 95. Before that, you would Duke with Coach K, which again, we're going to hit on here in a little bit. But you've been now a head coach for almost 30 years. So you've seen really a huge swing in this pendulum of what college athletics is. And, and I would just love to hear, you know, in your view, the good, the bad, kind of where you saw it start and now what the world is that we're operating in today. No, great stuff, Greg. And I, and I think, you know, you're right, 30 years of watching it. And we talked a little bit about the name, image, and likeness, NIL, which is out there a lot and is part of the vocabulary again. Um, you know, I, I, I do think at times um, I get disappointed that the value of a scholarship has maybe diminished. A full scholarship to the University of Notre Dame or University of Miami, which annually is probably valued at eighty to ninety thousand um, dollars. You know that let, let's let's just not take that for granted and 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 worry about NIL and I need a deal here with Chevy and how do I get Under Armour to help me and 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 I think on some fronts we've lost a little bit of that. One of the reasons I love coaching at Notre Dame is because the kids that we get here really do value getting the degree. I don't really have one and done guys, even though I may have one this year in Blake Wesley. We have four and five year guys that get their degrees. Our, our football program is somewhat similar, you know, and guys are coming and going through. And 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 so um, that that's one of the reasons maybe we're a throwback that way. But uh, God, don't underestimate. You know, you think about student loans and kids that can't afford to go to college and are scraping money together. Don't underestimate and don't take for granted a college athletic scholarship, which is just so valuable. I, I told our team, I said, my class, you take my class every semester for four years. I think my class is the most important because we deal with up, down, left, right. Are we together? Failure, success, um, uh, friction, tension, the whole bit. And the things that they learn, as you know, from being a college athlete, the things you learn in the locker room and how you talk, I mean, you, you, you can't substitute that. So, um, you know, I, 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 I just, just remember what a college earning a college scholarship at any level is a great honor for a student athlete. So, so as the head coach at Notre Dame and, and you, and you touched on a little bit, you know, Notre Dame is a very special place. I remember when I was getting recruited there by, by both coach Willingham and Bob Davy, Bob Davy before him. It, it didn't take me very long to understand Notre Dame is just, it's different. It's special. There's kind of an aura and a mystique about that school and everything that it offers aside from the high level, you know, athletics and whatnot. So as you now venture out and you and your assistant coaches, you're going to watch high school kids. And I'm sure you're going to all these elite, you know, showcase events and, and the college, you know, you're kind of trying to get your hands on these kids at a young age, you know, as you recruit them and their families, how do you identify everything you just said? Like, how do you identify the qualities in a young, you know, 16, 17 year old kid oftentimes where you can then say, okay, I can project that in a few years when he's an 18, 19 year old freshman on my campus, he's going to embody a lot of the qualities that I want, not only to represent the universe, you know, Notre Dame, but the men's basketball program and play for me. And really in, in those inherent qualities you just mentioned, like, what does that process look? How do you look back on a very young kid? and identify those those qualities in the recruiting process early on? 
You know, the uh, the period that we're going to get into is actually called the evaluation period, where we will go out and watch high school kids and AAU tournaments on the weekends, and we're trying to put it all together, what fits. Certainly for us, you know, there's got to be a skill and an athletic ability. It's a certain level, but I need to see a transcript. You know, um, not everybody's a great fit for Notre Dame. Our mission is different. You know that. You lived it. That's just the way it is. And and so our pool to pick from is going to be a little bit smaller maybe than other institutions. And that's life, and that's what you sign up for when you coach it uh, at at Notre Dame. You know, I think when we talk about our basketball program and how we build our culture is feel for the game and basketball IQ. We have given up some – maybe athletic ability to have a maybe more skill feel for the game guy. And you try and get that mixture of both because we have really been good with the ball and we've been able to shoot it. Now we've improved defensively, which really helped us this year. And we've gotten a little more athletic in some areas, but um, you know, guys that uh, guys that get it, I, I, my phrase to kids, you, you need to want to compete in the classroom as much as the basketball court if you come to Notre Dame. You know it. You lived it, Greg. Yep, it's hard. Absolutely. I, I'm not going to tell you. School's hard here. It's hard. So if, if you know, and, and so usually that pool is narrowed down, and we know the guys that are they're going to fit for us. But then to get them, you're in a heck of a battle with Northwestern, Stanford, Duke, uh, and, and state universities, Michigan State, you know, Villanova. You know, you get into those into those battles, but, um, you know, just, the uh, I, I love a young man that has, you know, is he coachable? You know, like to talk to his high school coach. Is he coachable? Um, you know, a kid that's been to four high schools is probably not going to be a great fit. A kid who changes AAU teams three times in a summer, probably not going to be a great fit for us, maybe others, but not for us. And, and so some loyalty and commitment that you see, because, it's going to be hard, and we can't have a guy wanting to walk out the door as soon as they have a tough three days of practice. Um, so you, you you try and project all of that, um, and some of it is a darn crapshoot, Greg. You know, I mean, there's evaluations I'm really proud of, and there's some in my 22 years where I go, <laughs> what was I thinking? Of I missed the boat on that. Luckily, they must – I must have had a good number that worked because they still let me coach here. So well, I am I, happy about that. <laughs> and, and, and you touched on a little bit, and I think it's so important because the, the scene that I'm seeing, you know, my, my kids are a little younger. We're, we're not even into middle school yet. I have a fifth grader and, and two third graders. But I even see it at the youth level where every single spring season, a kid's on a different travel baseball team because he didn't like his position or he didn't like where he was in the batting lineup or he wasn't pitching enough. Like I understand change sometimes is good and change sometimes is what's needed to further develop or find a better situation, whatnot. But, and and you touched on it. So now you're out there recruiting at the high school. And then there's also the AAU component. And I remember when I was growing up in North Jersey, you know, we had St. Patrick's and St. Anthony's. I mean, we had some really good basketball programs growing up. So we saw a little bit of it, but it was all driven through the high school. You know, when you went to see Tim Thomas play coming out of high school back then, you were going to watch him play at Patterson Catholic, right? And then I know there was always the summer leagues and the AUs and the ABCD camps and all that stuff was still around. But it seems like today, how do you as coaches, like, are you putting more weight into their AAU travel ball teams and talking to their coaches? Are you putting an equal amount of emphasis in the recruiting process with their high school team? And talk to us a little bit about that, because I know 
that's, you know, an ever changing landscape as we start talking about the balance of like school driven ball and more travel slash AAU ball. No, great point. Uh, you know, I, sadly, there has been less of an emphasis on the high school team and season. I was I started as a high school coach, so yep. it, it kind of is a dagger to me. Um, now, the kids that we've gotten here, you know, we've worked through the high school coach, uh, uh, you know, maybe almost as much as the travel team coach. But the travel teams now have become really sexy. And the kids get out there and they want to play and they want to compete. And they play they play 80 games from April 1st to August 1st. And so we need to be there and watch them and be plugged in. And, and they're all going to be part of the decision as you recruit it. I love when we get to the fall, meaning next fall for the class of 2023 kids, where I can go to their high schools. And because when I go to a high school, I love going to high school because I can go down the hall to the guidance office and talk to the counselor. And it always happens. The English teacher, the assistant principal come in the gym watching a workout. Hey, coach, I want you to know I have Jimmy in class. Man, he is awesome. Great kid, does his work. That's the stuff I need to hear. All of us need to hear, not just the Notre Dame coach. And we probably lost a little bit of that. Um, but the travel, you know, you adjust. The travel scene starting next weekend, April 8th, I will be on that circuit till August one watching this next group of kids. It, it's such a it's such an interesting world. You know, it just it's and it's ever changing. We're we're starting to see it. Football was kind of the last holdout. Football was was very unique in the sense that it was really only played in the fall, and your really only option was to ever play with your high school. There was there was no really options. You know, still to this day in the traditional tackle football sense, what's now changing in football where it's now following the basketball model and it's following the travel baseball summer model is all these seven on seven passing leagues. Yeah. So we're starting to see, you know, youth girls, you know, young youth girls soccer has this model. It, it really has become rampant football being a little different, but nonetheless, these kids are playing 12 months around, which leads me to what what we find here is the most commonly asked question from our fans and from the you know the families that follow you think the whole idea behind specialization and you talked about going into these high schools and identifying kids that not only were talented skillful basketball players but also brought the qualities the toughness the grit i know you're really big into the mental and the mindset and 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 facing adversity and overcoming it so how do you, are there qualities that you find in kids who play multiple sports at their schools, kids who only specialize at a particular age in basketball? Like, are there certain qualities that you look for when you walk in and you're starting to say, all right, this kid's a great fit for, for Notre Dame men's basketball program versus maybe this kid's not a fit. Does anything, does any of it factor in what their sport, you know, what their seasonal sport curriculum looks like? Yeah. It's interesting. You say that how it's changed. And we are in the era of specialization, and I don't think we're ever going to go back. In the late 90s at Delaware, my starting guards were also football quarterbacks, and they were tough as nails, and we won an America East championship, two of them, because of those guys. Those days are over. Um, and, and it's just these kids, let's take basketball, are getting started with trainers and people at age 12 and 13 and 14, and they're making decisions. And you know what? I kind of get it because to earn a college scholarship, you know, you have to be a freak of nature athlete 
like you, and I mean that as a compliment, to play two sports in high school and then still get a, well, whatever, a Power Five scholarship or an America East scholarship. It's just the way, it's the it's the world we're in. It's funny you bring up football seven on seven. Brian Kelly came to see me six years ago. He goes, Mike, we got AAU football now. What do I do? <laughs> I said, how welcome to my world. That's coach. really interesting. Yeah. Oh, the so what was that? So tell us about that conversation. You know, how, oh, yeah, how did, football. how did Brian coach Kelly apply your model now to this change? I, I, I think that's fascinating. No, it, it was really interesting. He said, I got a guy calling me from Washington DC saying, Hey, I'm going to bring the seven best players from DC out for seven on seven and of course, then, you know, well, what can you do for me? And what are you going to pay me at camp? And it gets a little interesting along those lines. But that's the world I was, and, and I laughed at him. And, and we, you know, he's a good friend and I have a great yeah. relationship with him. I said, oh, oh, you in my world now, buddy. And the assist, <laughs> I said, tell your assistants to come talk to my guys because you are getting into this world and you're going to have to manage it. And you cannot stick your head in the sand. And I think, you know, he did a great job and Marcus will continue to do it with, We've got a seven-on-seven tournament here. The weekend in June, it's like, it's buzzing. I go over it so cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I love going to watch it. But that's that's the world that football has now crossed into. You know, you, you're not with your high school team all the time. And yeah. I've been basketball's been living that world now really for 20, 20 25 years. Yeah, and, and my dad was my high school football coach. And everything we did, and I know your son's a high school football coach down at IMG, and we're going to touch on that because he, we're going to get there. But because um, <laughs> I, I love that story. So, but yeah, my dad, all of our summer seven on sevens, everything we did was all school school driven. My dad had no patience for his kids. And again, at the time, you know, in the early two thousands, this wasn't really prevalent. But it would be a heck of an adjustment for these guys now. And and to hear Brian Kelly have the self awareness to come and say, "Hey, Coach Brad, you've lived in this for for three decades." You need to help me now kind yeah. of change our recruiting path. I, I think that that must have been a, just an awesome conversation. You know, I, I played for and coached with a guy by the name of Morgan Wooten, who's yep. passed but in the Hall of Fame and legendary high school coach. He, like your dad, could never come to grips because in D.C., the high schools played summer league basketball. And then all of a sudden, the first AAU tournament popped up I'm going to take some guys to Vegas. I need two of your guys at DeMatha, two of your guys at Carroll. And he came to me, and, and I was a young assistant with him. He said, Mike, you can't miss a summer league game. I'm kicking them off. I mean, he could, I said, Coach, I think we have to adjust. We have to adjust. These kids will want to do this. Just let them go for one trip. But he never really could come to grips. Like your father, how can you not be with your high school team all the time? I'm the only guy that coaches you. Those days are over, Greg. <laughs> I, it's, I tell my dad all the time, I say, be thankful you're retired. Yes, you did it for 40 years. I said, this is not the landscape for you. Just be happy you're not dealing with it. Um, my little brother's a high school football coach, which yeah. kind of leads me uh, as we kind of transition a little bit. But, but before we do, you mentioned you started at DeMatha High School, which is like a powerhouse school um, in D.C. area. And, eight, and then in 1987, you go to Duke. Yeah. And you're an assistant with Coach K. And of course, this season, I, I live in North Carolina. Everywhere you turn, the Coach K farewell tour, <laughs> you know, his final season, it's on every local sports talk radio. Just take us back, if you will, and, and just and just reflect a little bit about your time there. And I know from there you then became the head coach at Delaware. And then of course Notre Dame, where you've been now for, you know, 22 years. But 
when you think back of your time with Coach K, like what what comes to mind and what elements of that experience now have shaped you to be such a successful coach now for 30 years since the, since then? Well, it, I, I was so fortunate because he hired me when I was a high school coach. And I think the reason he did was he wanted somebody that was going to be with him a while and not maybe a guy with college experience who wanted to go two years and get a head job. I needed time and and he and he he hired me and and I needed to learn the college profession. But but I think he felt good enough about my instincts and and character and principles. One of the things he said to me on the interview, he said, look, I'm not bringing anybody down here that doesn't want to be a head coach. You're going to have your hands on every part of the program. And I'm always being indebted to him for that. We did everything as assistants and we weren't pigeonholed into recruiting or this. We did it all. And I thought he really prepared me then uh, to be a head coach at the University of Delaware in 1995. I mean, I had it's almost not real the run. We I was there eight years. We went to six final fours. We played in we played in four national championship games and won two of them. That that's not real. That's a, yeah, I mean, that, 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 that's being spoiled. And, and so it was, you know, Hurley and Leitner and Hill, and that was that group. And, and so, you know, then I'm in the big East and then we go to the ACC and now I got to play against this guy, and uh, <laughs> which has been great. Yeah. I mean, it's the ultimate challenge to compete against a guy that mentored you. And, you know, we've had our occasions where we've been able to get them. And it's great credibility for our program. They kicked our butt here this year. And, uh, but, but, uh, you know, I, he, he's a special guy. He's a good friend. And uh, it's an, really, it's been great for college basketball to have when March Madness returned to its original form this year after COVID, to have a St. Peter's story, to have a Duke, North Carolina semifinal that has never happened in the end. This is all good for March Madness, and we needed it as a sport. And um, Mike will still be involved, I'm sure. He's always been a guy that's cared about the game, coaches, and I know he'll still be uh, plugged in even though he's retired. And I don't mind not dealing with him starting that. (laughs) I'd rather deal with Shire than that guy. I love it. There has been some, there has been some really cool stories. We actually had the opportunity, Shaheen Holloway, you know, you mentioned at St. Peter's, I, I had a chance to speak with him here on you think he was a New Jersey high school basketball legend at St. Pat's when I was growing up as a kid, I remember going to those games, the tournament of champions and all the New Jersey state basketball playoffs and watching him and, and some of the other legendary guys that came out. So as you said, there's been some cool stories. Is there one element of your time with coach K as that's really shaped your coaching philosophy. Now you mentioned he let you have your hands on everything. He, he was, you know, a good delegator, which it seems like, is that something you've carried forward now to some of your assistants in the way you run your program over the last couple of decades? Like what would there be one thing that you've carried forward from your time with coach K? I think, I think Greg, the theme of competing every day, you know, the one thing I really respect about him, there he is 75 years old, this particular season. And he wakes up every morning wanting to beat somebody's backside, even in May, April recruiting. He doesn't play golf. He doesn't have a lot of hobbies. He wants to compete and make his program better. And he's wired really differently and special. And I tip my cap. I mean, uh, that the intensity was there. Now, when I was with him, he was really juiced up. And I learned (laughs) about that daily intensity I felt it. I lived it. And it was great for me when I became a head coach 
and what happens is your assistants feel it by way of osmosis. Yep. And then as you become a more experienced coach, you become a better delegator. And and I think I've been that because I've got a great staff. Yeah, and it all starts at the top. The, the best coaches that I've ever been around, you know, and and this is something that I, I try to even implement on like my little kids teams that I'm coaching here with my children. The best coaches are the ones that are so secure in themselves that they don't need to control every room and they don't need to control every situation. And, and from the sound of it, that sounds very similar to not only your time with Coach K, but now in essence, how you've been running and modeling your program at Notre Dame. No question, Greg. And, and I, I'm a big proponent. If you can, and, and you've lived this on a number of teams, if you, when you get a group to take ownership of itself and the leadership is selling my stuff in the locker room when I ain't around, we got a shot. Absolutely. We got a shot. And I had Prentice Hub as a senior and, and Cormac Bryan and Nate Leshevsky and those guys, because they've been with me a while, spoke my language when I wasn't around. And as you know, sometimes when it came from the quarterback, instead yep. of the head cut, it was way more powerful. Yep. And I'm okay with that. I don't, as long as we get where we want to get and win, I'm okay if the point guard told you how to do it better than me. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, coach, what you just said there, I, I'm going to, we're going to cut that because I don't think, I, I'm sure you know this, that is such a rare philosophy for coaches nowadays. The idea of delegating, the idea of not having to have the final word, the idea that someone else could carry a very powerful message within the locker room or within the players or and have and be able to take that step back and say, go, I, I had time. I, I spent a little time the other night with um, with Sean McVay. And, you know, obviously they just won the Super Bowl. And, and I was just asking him about the season. He said, you know what, Greg, the one thing I would say about this year's team that was special versus some of the other past years, most of the season, my job was to get out of the way. And he goes, that was Amen. very hard for me. He goes, I'm a very, I'm almost OCD. I'm in everything. I was a micromanager. But when I took a look around and I said, Matthew Stafford's got this and Aaron Donald's got this and Von Miller, he goes, my job was to get out of the way and let these guys lead. When I, our 2015 team, Ron Rivera, he was the, that was his best quality. When we ran our Super Bowl run, we went 17 and two. We lost obviously in the Super Bowl. It was player led. So I just love hearing that that after all these years is still at the core of how you're still running your program after all these years. I just love to hear that. That's so interesting because you've had this, the, the, the NFL guys and Sean's a young guy. So that's probably a little hard to, uh, yeah. you know, uh, whereas Ron, I look at him and I don't know him, but I look at his demeanor and I go, he knows who he is. He's confident. And, and, uh, but, it, but and, and it's so rewarding when you can get to that point as the leader and see your group kind of doing it on their own. Yeah, you know, I've told my guys, I said, fellas, I'll get the hell out of your way. I'll set up the pregame meals. We won't practice real long, and I'll get you to the court on time, and I ain't going to mess with you. I said, Let, you, you, you know what we're doing here, and it's the ultimate feeling when you have that vibe going. And you can't get it all the time, but, man, as a head coach, I really try and nurture that in the offseason with my captains. All right, so I'm a high school coach, and I'm listening to this episode, and I'm trying to model my basketball team or my – doesn't matter the sport. I'm trying to model my culture. And I hear you and I hear you say about player led, my strongest leaders need to be my best players, you know, all those qualities. And of course, I'm sitting there saying, yeah, that sounds great. But as you just mentioned, what if I don't have it? Like, what is the determining factor, coach, in your mind when you can 
say, it's time for me to take a step back because these players, they have it. Like, if, if, as you said, it's not all the time. So yeah. what does that evaluation process, like when do you know you've got to put your foot down and you've got to, you've got to hit the throttle and you've got to push these guys and when you need to take a step back because they've had it? Like, I'm sure that's a very delicate process. That is something I think you're always reading. Like, for example, we're going to start our workouts Monday and our seniors and our guys are going to be gone. I like to ride the bike in the back of the weight room to see what the group dynamic is now with the senior voices out of the room. I just want to feel it. I want to watch it. I want to hear it. Yeah. I want to see who talks. And and that's my job here over the next couple of months till we get to summer school. And and Cormac Ryan will return for us. He's got an unbelievable voice. I told him the other day, we had breakfast yesterday because he's important. I said, you and I are running this, right? He said, I got you, coach. I said, it's you and me. And I said, you know, let's, you just keep, he had a great voice through Mark, the March run. And he really kind of got confident and it, and it developed during the season. And that could happen sometimes. Heck, I've made guys captain on January 1st. Yeah. Because, hey, he's starting to do it and feel it. Now, when you get that out of high school age, which I've experienced, that, that could be a little tricky. How do you, but it, but it's all relationship driven. And I, you know, football with all the numbers, I don't know how y'all do it. I talk to my son all the time about it. I get to know 12 guys like my son. And and I and you've got to invest relationship time with them. You got to know they they got to know you care about them and then, you know, you can't mess with their minutes, so to speak. And then all of a sudden, they're going to sell your stuff. <laughs> That's a, it's such a and 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 you nailed it. They're, you can push a guy, you can challenge a guy, you can hold a guy accountable when you first established a relationship of support and of love. No question. Right? If a guy feels like you're attacking him and you're attacking him, the person is when the defense mechanisms go up. And that's when a guy gets a little standoffish and insecure. But if that relationship is established early on that, Hey, I'm going to be all over your ass and I'm going to hold you accountable because you can do it, you are capable of doing it. And if I let you fall anywhere short of what the standard you've set, I, as your coach, have failed you. If that relationship can be established, there's nothing a kid won't take from you as his coach. There's no way you can push him too hard because that that love and support was established before I put my foot up your ass. You know, like, yeah, and I think that's so important to hear you say that. Relationships, um, getting them to smile on the practice court. You know, loosening them up a little bit while they're stretching. I always try to do that. And then I think, and again, this comes with being secure, being able in front of your team to go, I got to help you better. I screwed you up tonight. I got to help you better. That's on me. I screwed you up. I should, we should have done this in the last play. I'm not saying every day, but they've got to see you fall on your sword in front of them. And it may be truthfully, you did screw them up. So admit it. And, and uh, put it on yourself all the time. Never, never, never uh, in, in public with the media do anything with a player. Well, he, he you know, I thought he was going to do this, but we told him to do this. Never. Now, behind closed doors, you may say, what were you thinking there? I thought we talked about this. You, They got to see you having their back in public with the media all the time, no matter how bad they play. And you deal with it privately. Man, I, I just, I can't wait. So again, so many of our fans and viewers each week are, are young coaches, high school, yeah. youth co- age coaches. And 
I just can't wait for them to hear this because this is ju- this is such this is advice you just aren't getting somewhere else. It's yeah. like you're going to a I always like we used to have a joke that like, this is a thousand dollar an hour clinic now, right? <laughs> like we used to say that in the NFL when we'd have a practice, but I, I just can't wait for our for young coaches to just hear that advice. And and I think you could you can apply that to being a parent. And, and no that's question. the direction I'd like to go. You brought up your son, Kyle. So your son, Kyle, actually coached at a, at a public school here, not far from right down the street from where I live here in Charlotte, Audrey Kell. Yes. And they were very, very good. He was there a few years. And now he's down the varsity football coach down at IMG Academy down in Bradenton, which for anyone doesn't know, they have a collection of the best. They are the best high school football program. It's a little bit of a different model. It's more of an academy. It's more of yep. a destination. It's, it's almost like a pre- you know, preparatory type college experience, but I'll tell you what, they get kids that are committed to ball and kids that can straight up play. So I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about it now, both from a a parent's perspective and and specifically as a father, developing that love for the game, developing that as a young age with your two children, you know, what did that balance look like? It's something that I struggle with now with my kids. I've always been such a, a driven guy and somebody who's always tried to pursue things at the highest level but sometimes that's not always the best practice as a parent. And, and that's something, a question that we get asked by a lot of our viewers. Like I have a child who wants to do this, but I feel like sometimes I'm the one pushing, I'm the one taking them and it's not kid led. So, you know, not only with your, with, with your son getting to coaching, but just raising two children in this sports world. Like I'd love to just hear your perspective now as just a dad and as a parent. That's another key point. Well, the first thing was great. I'm so glad my son played football because I couldn't screw him up (laughs) because I don't know anything about football. He was a tight end H-back at Buffalo with Turner Gill and they won the Mac. And I'll give you a great, even, even, even the guy who's coached and dealt with parents, I'll give you a parent time I was with him. So he's home in the summer. And the only reason he got a scholarship, unlike you, is because he can block. And uh, and so I go into parent mode one day. We're sitting on the back porch talking. I said, hey, Kyle, I said, you know, you ever talk to your offensive coordinator? Would he would he ever maybe like put you out in the flat and like maybe dump dump it <laughs> off to you, like pass to him? Right. He turns to me, which is why I love him. He's 20 years old. He goes, Dad, I got my scholarship because I can block. Shut up. Know your role, man. I know. And I was know like, know your role. I was like, thank you. And, and I use that example with our parents, you know, like, and, and, and uh, so, you know, I had a great role models in my, my dad was a high school athletic director. Your dad was a coach. My mom was in the, was an Olympian, was a high level athlete. They never, after a game in the car, coached me up. Why didn't you do this? Why do you, we hear about these car rides. I've had players that tell me "Mom, that car ride home from the game, man, I was dreading it. Well, you should have done that. We should have done that. You should have done this, should have done that. I mean, some of my job is is buffering parents still to this day when I have them and, and, and helping a kid like, you know, I know when his da- dad maybe beat him up after the game, <laughs> you know, he, you know, I want to try and help him. So, you know, my parents were great that way. And, you know, there's a time and place to help or talk. But uh, um, hopefully, you know, parents can can you let a kid grow? Can you step back? When, when my son did play CYO basketball, I would put a hat on and sit in the top of the bleachers in Wilmington, Delaware. And I didn't want to say a word. I didn't want to talk to anybody. And 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 if he asked me something on the way home, I may say something. But if we were going to go just get ice cream, that's cool too, man. You know, that, <laughs> that's that, really that, cool. That, that's good. But uh, yeah, when he's, I said, hey, do you think maybe they could throw it to you? Hey, dad, shut up. I was like, you're right. Thank you. 
<laughs> I mean, don't you aren't, now you're going to tell that next time your point guard's like, Hey coach, how come we never run the down screen pop for me to come and get the open three? And you're like, cause you're the facilitator where Johnny's going to shoot the ball. Shut the hell up. Yeah, <laughs> you exactly. know what I mean? It's like, like know, know your role, you know, right? Knowing your role, staying know in your role. role. And, um, I love I, that. I, I referred to it this year. I came up, you know, they talk about chemistry, togetherness, playing together, fabric, our fabric. Yeah. It got to be about February 1st. And my assistants were talking X's and O's one day. And our principals were in how we play O, how we play D. I said, I don't want to hear about that crap. Y'all do it. I'm only concerned about the fabric. Whose head do I need to deal with today? Where are we at today? How's my seventh man today? Is he pissed that he didn't play last night? I want this fabric right. Because we got a chance if we can keep the fabric right. And that moves me more than any strategy or X and O anymore. The group dynamics, the how they interact with each other. And I think you've got to reinforce that. Prentice Hub was my senior guard, but yet I had a freshman who's an NBA prospect. And he hugged him and said, I need you. You're better than me. We need you to go to the NSA tournament. Do your thing. I purposely, all the time in public, Prentice Hub is Blake Wesley's big brother. He helps him. He's got him confident. I made sure Prentice know we appreciate it. And you just, you know, little things like that, you know, is, is, is so cool. And somehow I came up, you know, it's fab. What's our fabric? What's our fabric? I love it. And a lot of people call it culture and fabric or environment, however you want to classify it. And I think it's just so, I mean, sports is like the ultimate social experiment, right? You're bringing people from all different backgrounds, all different walks of life. And you're saying, all right, you're all going to come together under this common goal. We all might have different visions on how to get there. We might have a coach who has a different vision, an assistant who has a different vision. But at the end of the day, it's not who's right. It's what right. What's right for this group. And that could change every year. The fabric of this year's team and the fabric of next year's team could be very different. So to hear you and to have coaches and our families listen to you talk about how important culture, the mental health, the mental mindset and the approach is equally as important, it sounds, not to put words in your mouth, is equally as important of what's our inbounds plays, what's our defensive strategy. Is that right? More important. More important. By the time I get them here, they know how to play basketball. They know what a defensive stance is. Yeah, we're going to talk about where we want it on the floor, and here's what our zone looks like, and here's our out-of-bounds. But it's more – and here's the theme I've come to, and I think all levels of coaches, all levels, pro to youth league, with my staff about six or be a confidence giver, be a cop, give them confidence, man, get them believing they can do stuff. They never could believe and get them to see, if, see if you can get them to play outside themselves, be a confidence giver. And I'm always, even if I'm critical, I never end it like that. I'll give them something I positive. We'll give them something good before we end the day. Now, sometimes that's hard to find on game film when you get your butt <laughs> yeah. beat. I've been and, there. Uh, I've, I've been there. You've been, been there, there. and, and been but, there. but at this age, pros a little different, but this age and youth league, give them, give them confidence, get them to believe, make them, you know, just, we're going to have fun doing it together, man. And, 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 you know, I, I fight that on game day cause I've got angst, but I fake it great. On I, the love <laughs> I love that. I love that. I always used to say on my best games, I had to find the worst plays to re- to ground me. Yeah. And in my worst plays, my worst games, man, I needed those two or three good plays. And that I was going to try to, after I watched film, I was going to hang on them because I was like, all right, I wasn't 
completely shit. You know, like I, was <laughs> decent. I just think I love that. The, the last thing I want to talk about before I, before I let you go, coach, th- this is just uh, an absolute treat. Just having, I could talk to you for six hours about, <laughs> about this whole thing, but, and you've touched on it a few times is the, is, is the role of the parent. And, and you, and you gave kind of your, your experience raising your two children and, and the way you were raised by your parents who also have a really extensive sports background. You mentioned your mom was an Olympic swimmer and then went on to be a coach. I think at George Washington, right? A swim coach. Yes. She was the head coach at GW while yep. I was playing there, which was That's a so unique cool. dynamic. <laughs> That's so cool. So obviously you've been around this for a long time. Now you mentioned your son, Kyle, he's in the coaching world, but the role of the parent is, is such a vital role in this. And, and at no, you know, at the young level, it's everything, right? They're the ones getting you to practice. They're the ones picking your team, picking your coaches. They are playing a daily role. What I've seen now though, and just talking to college coaches, and I'd love to hear it. I saw a video of you addressing the media and it went viral on, on, on social media. And I just remember watching it. This was only like a week or two ago. And I said, that's it right there. (laughs) And you talked about recruiting the family, recruiting the parents. There's been times where you might've wanted the kid, but you just weren't sure if the family was the right fit. You want a family that says, Hey, that's your coach. Don't call me and bitch and complain after the game, what he's coaching you. Like you want a family who's sharing a similar message to you because that keeps the kid happy. That keeps the kid engaged. Like when you say how important the parent is and that recruiting the parent, like, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I, I think, and, and God knows how competitive it is to get a college scholarship now. And I put myself in, in their shoes and we want little Jimmy to get a be- baseball scholarship and he's got to play here. And he needs a trainer. And, and, and I get that, but just to, have some balance and can you um, let them breathe a little bit? Uh, I mean, when I'm watching a kid play and we're on the circuit, it'll be next weekend. I'll ask my assistant, okay, we're watching number 12. Where's number 12's parents point them out in the stands. I kind of like to see their body language and their reaction. Certainly when you get into the recruiting process, we interact with parents a lot. And there, there have been times where I say, you know, I don't, I don't know if they will give me their son. Give me your son. Uh, my, my, my track record is pretty good. Give me your son. Let me grow him. And, you know, fortunately, for the most part, I have had many parents kind of give me their son. The adjustment is in recruiting, we talk to them a lot. And then as soon as I get them, I'm not friends with mommy and daddy anymore I, because it's me and Prentice Hub and Blake Wesley. Now, if there's an issue or there are problems, don't call me about basketball. Do my assistants have a line of communication? Sure. But we're not going to talk about playing time or role. I'm going to talk to your son about that. And and remember, here's where I have it, and, and you were a pro. I'm also paying $80,000 a year for him to go to school. That's not the case always with a high school or a youth league. I get that. I get that. But um, just... You know, and when I get them here, and and you remember this time in your life, Greg, this is such a formative time. Uh, you know, I always tell them, I want to coach men. I want to coach men. I want I want you to be. I don't want to ask you about your academics if you went to class. I want to help you with basketball. Handle your business over there on campus. When you, I want to be. I, I want to coach men. I don't want to coach guys. Oh, did you turn your paper in? The academic advisor called today. Come on, man. I want to talk to you about when you go left for your short jump shot. This is what we're going to run. And kids will, and this age group will really react to that. And, and uh, 
And so the relationship with me and him, and I think parents have, some parents have had an interesting time, like coach doesn't talk to us anymore. He walks right by us after the game. I wave, I wave. That's it. Now I'm going to talk to your son on the bus all day, you know, cause he did this good. He needs to do this yeah. better. And if I need to get up his backside about academics, I'll do that too. <laughs> it, it's, it, I, it just, it makes me smile. Cause I'm thinking about it. And again, my kids are younger. But the same thing, my, my son will, you know, my, my oldest son will come home. I, I'm not, I, I help out at his bas- baseball team, but I'm not the coach. And he'll come home and he'll ask me, you know, dad, why do you think I bat this order? Or what? I said, have you asked your coach? Well, no. I said, well, you need to be your greatest advocate. I'll, I'm always going to be your dad. I'm always going to tell you the truth. You might not like it. I will always be there to pick you up. I'll always be there to say you were wrong. You were right, whatever. But my biggest job, and I, to all my kids, I said, you need to learn to advocate for yourself now. I can't pave your road for you all the way through high school and then one day turn you off. Whether you play college sports or not, you go off into the real world, and all of a sudden you don't have mommy and daddy holding your hand, asking your boss why you didn't get a raise. I, we're not going to follow you around. So it's funny to hear you say that you're still kind of finding that straddle, you know, straddling that line with college-age kids. I'm a big believer that even at the youth level, uh, youth coaches should encourage the kids to come approach them if they have a problem. I don't care if they're 10, 16, 18. I don't care what they are. Like parents, let your kids advocate for themselves. Now, there's an issue. It becomes combative. It becomes negative. It becomes, okay, now as a parent, I got to step in now and me and the coach need to have that conversation. But I just love the idea of, of you implementing, no, I will talk to your kid unless something big is happening. And then obviously I owe it to the parents to have that conversation. I, I think that's so spot on. No, that's a good, that's a great point. Just, uh, you know, as parents and I've been there and you're there now, and your dad was a great example, man. Uh, I, I know it's competitive and we want to win and all that. They better enjoy it. You better make sure they're enjoying it or they're going to burn out and give it up and they're going to run from you. And, you know, that's why the whole smiling you know, at practice and, and they see me smile and they, and again, on game day, I'm faking it sometimes because I'm tight as a drum. <laughs> and, um, but you better make sure they're enjoying it and there's some fun stuff to it. And, 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 uh, uh, or, or, you know, you see the cases of burnout all the time. And, uh, um, but, uh, it, it's such a great laboratory for learning and growing for a young person. As you, you experienced it, I experienced, now I have the responsibility of being the teacher. And, you know, I sit at my first team meeting on Labor Day, and, you know, football's playing on Labor Day. We have our first team meeting on Labor Day. And yeah, there's pressure to win or they're going to fire you or whatever. But I look out at the 12 guys and their pressure, they have such big dreams. And I look, oh my God, I hope I can make them all come true, team-wise and individually. And you can't go 12 for 12, but that's the pressure. I want them to have a good experience. And now I've had, you mentioned Chris Quinn. I've had 65 guys in 22 years, Greg, come through here and play. Those are sons. Those guys are sons to me. And when they come back and go, coach, remember when you pulled me aside and you said this? And you don't remember everything. And and Morgan Wooten used to say it. They may forget their teachers. They always remember their coach always so true and 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 um i it's a big responsibility and so when you're interacting and teaching and being an educator i just really try to be prepared and 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 
you know, cherish it. And, and, and it keeps me young being around them. Well, the, the burden of responsibility coach, I, I can tell you, and, and again, this is our first time ever having a real extended conversation, but the reason you feel that extent, that real burden of responsibility, it only happens to people who genuinely care, right? It, it, there is a lot of indifference out there. There are a lot of people at the coaches, players at all levels who are really in it for different reasons. They're in it for their own personal well-being. They're in it for, you know, alternative motives. But like when someone like yourself, or you five minutes into this conversation, I could just see like, this is your passion. This is your love. These kids matter to you. The more it matters to you, the more your, your stomach turns when they don't have success. I mean, I, I coach a nine-year-old baseball team that my youngest son is on. I spend the, my wife says, I don't ever see you act like this when you were playing. You're like a basket case. I said, Kara, I feel every single one of these parents gave me their nine-year-old kid and they come spend eight hours on a weekend to play four baseball games. If their kid gets up there and can't hit the ball, can't, doesn't do it right, gets thrown out. If they go home and they didn't get better, like that's my fault. Like I am gutted when these kids don't know what to do or they make a mistake or they, they don't perform well. Not only my kids, I feel more gutted for everyone else's kids who entrusted me. So like hearing you say that it, it happens to people who care and coach like your passion for this and your love of this is why you've done this for 30 years. It's, uh, it's, it's so it's, impressive. It's it still, it totally beats a real job, Greg. And, and I, love uh, I have been stealing for 40 years, but teaching, coaching, being around young people to watch the faces of our players on selection Sunday when we didn't get in in 21 and we did get it in 22 and we made it a 365 day chase was just so rewarding to see like, God, we did it. You guys did it. And, and, and then we played for a while too. So, and the locker rooms after, you know, those are the best of, that's why everybody wants to get into coaching. All my buddies that are making a whole kinds of money in business, like, God, man, that locker room must've been awesome. And there's nothing like it, but when you get your butt beat, Come on in that locker room. <laughs> you got it. And you got to take the good with the bad. And I'll tell you, everyone always sees the locker room celebrations and they see, you know, cutting nets down and they see storm in the courts and they see all the fun. But uh, man, until you do it, you don't know how much work these kids and these coaches put in. It it's, is a, it's, it's a uh, lifestyle choice that is not for everybody. It's not. Well, when I come to Charlotte, I'll look you up. I can't wait. Coach, I have that. These are all short little one little things. We call them three before you go. They're quick fast and then I'm going to let you out of here in in your experience now observing youth sports in today's environment is there anything that you know now that you wish when you were coming up the ranks either as a young coach or as a young kid you know I I do like the idea and I have a grandson now in Florida my son Kyle's son playing yep. little league, little league base. you know I do like the idea of of uh, everybody getting to play you know and and I I know I was saw some little league teams where kids wouldn't get to play. And, and, you know, I, I understand not everybody should get a trophy. I get that. We do have to, but you know, we got to, at a young age, can everybody get an experience? And, and they seem to be doing a better job of as a, at a very young age, letting everybody get a taste of it and at bat playing in the field, pitching, whatever, you know, and, and uh, I think that's, Really good. And I do think this, I do think this because there's been education on youth sports. There's been stuff like you're doing and all kinds of training. And I've been involved with a lot of it. That's where you saw my thing about the parents. I think we got a, we've got a better product down there with people that have learned and said, 
Yeah, I my style's got to be, there's been education. And I think that's really been awesome. And I think it'll only get better, but give them confidence, man. Give them confidence and make sure they smile before they leave the diamond or the court. I love it. Coach, the last thing, and I'm going to let you go. What's a message you'd have for parents listening to this? You know, as anxious as you are about your son and daughter, maybe starting in high school or earning a college scholarship, step back, take a deep breath, talk to people that have experience or have relationships and, you know, reach out in a constructive way and try and give your son or daughter every opportunity to be out there. My parents gave me Hey, I said, Dad, I want to go to DeMatha. My parents taught in the public school system I should have gone to. So you want to go to DeMatha and play for the best? You're going. It's 30 miles across the city. We'll get you there. If it's just support them and help them and give them opportunities uh, and listen to them. And and uh, uh, it, it's there's, there's, there's no laboratory or classroom like the locker room, the field, the court, the film room. Riding the bus. Are you kidding me? Riding the bus after a win when we hand the pizzas back. Are you kidding me? That's the best, Greg. Well, (laughs) amen to that, Coach. And you've been so generous with your time. Uh, I can't thank you enough, Coach Bray, the head basketball coach for the last 22 years at the University of Notre Dame, um, all-time winningest coach in program history. Coach, you've been so generous with your insight, your perspective. Um, We really appreciate you joining us today on You Think uh, This I have a feeling our, our fans and our, uh, and our viewers are going to be in for a treat. So thanks so much, Coach. Keep doing your thing, Greg. We'll talk soon, buddy. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with head men's basketball coach Mike Bray from Notre Dame. Um, his energy, his charisma, you know, you can just tell. When, when, you, when you see a coach who just loves what they do, it just radiates out of them. It's, it's, it's in their bones. It's in their spirit. And the second Mike Bray joined us, uh, you could just tell he truly loves these kids. He loves what he does. And he loves working for that university, one of the most prestigious universities in the entire world. And to be the head, men, head men's basketball coach there is is something you can tell Coach Bray uh, doesn't take for granted. That's for sure. As we enter here into the, the, the final block of today's episode, this is probably what's becoming one of my favorite parts. I'm going to bring back in um, Tasha, my producer, we are getting so many great questions, fan engagement, um, things that we that they want us to look out for, things that are challenging them as parents and as coaches back home for them. And we are getting more and more fan insight, more and more fan questions every week and having the ability to kind of reflect and to address them head on here on You Think is something we've really, really looked forward to each week as the questions rolled in. So I'm going to Bring Tasha back in, who's got a couple yeah. of questions from our. We got a couple of good ones from you guys. Listeners. Let's hear. This is kind of this is a situation someone was asking about, Greg. So they said there is a little league team that is pretty decent and has a winning streak, and the teams that are scheduled against them have been canceling their games because they don't want their own teams, you know, to get annihilated by them. So he wants to know what is your take on this situation. And what is being taught to the kids whose coach has canceled their games against a better skilled team? I mean, I, I cannot even begin to <laughs> illustrate how much this infuriates me. And, and I'll tell you why. I think 
there is a balance and there's something we've, we've touched on a lot here on you think uh, in the last, you know, what now nine, 10 episodes where there is a balance to youth sports and what, and what the, at the core, what youth sports is all about. And, and the wins and losses I've been the first to say are a byproduct of how you do things. There are so many other checkpoints around, along the way before you get to the end result of the competition that are, whether you're doing this the right way or the wrong way, this, these coaches that are avoiding playing this team and showing their kids that if you're not up to the level of somebody else, it's fine to just walk away and not even put yourself into that vulnerable position where you could, yes, you're probably going to lose, but like, what lesson are we telling these kids? And that's the, that's the one side of this whole youth sports experience that I, I could just never, to be honest with you, Tasha, I'll just never get behind that, right? Like, yes, the wins and the losses are not the, the, the ultimate goal and all that, but competing is right. Competing and showing your kids that, Hey, we're going to go play a team who might be better than us, but let's go find out why let's go take, let's go compete against them with everything we got. We might lose by a hundred or maybe we surprise ourselves. Maybe we go out there and we play really well. We make, you know, we, we do what's necessary to keep it competitive and we see how things shake out at the end. But what lesson are we teaching our young generations that anything that's hard, just avoid it. And anything that's challenging or scary, just avoid it. Like I just, I, I, I can't get down with that. I, I, if I was a parent and my kid was on that team and my coach, you know, called or emailed and said that we were going to forfeit and not play them, my kid wouldn't be on that team anymore. I would go put my kid on a different team where I'd say, listen, if you want to improve, we're going to continue to work. We're going to continue to find avenues. If this is something you really want to do that we're going to get better. And at the end of the day, every time we step foot on the field, we are going to compete to the best of our ability individually and then collectively as a team. And we can live with the end result. But to just pre, to, to predetermine that we can't beat that team over there because we hear they beat everybody by 10 runs. So we're just not going to show up. Like to me, that's a huge, huge issue. And I think we see it in a lot of other things. I think we're seeing in school where, te- where you know, they're not issuing like traditional testing. They're not, they're getting rid of standardized testing. Like they're getting rid of all these benchmarks that we've used for generations to compare and contrast how different individuals and different teams connect with one another and relate to one another. So I, I just, if, like I said, if, if my kid was on that team, that would be the last time he was ever on that particular team with that coach. Cause that coach is doing them a disservice. Those parents who are inevitable, I guess, in essence, supporting this coach's decision are doing these kids a disservice. It's baseball. It's not football where you really, there's weight limits and there's requirements to try to keep everyone at least physically similar. Mm -hmm. So no one gets injured. This is baseball. All right. So you might strike out three times. The kid might hit the ball over your head. Okay. No one's going to get hurt. You're going to be fine. Maybe the parents egos are what's really the reason here. Typically Mm -hmm. when decisions like this are made, the kids have no idea. Typically it's the coach and the parents who don't want their feelings hurt and don't want to be embarrassed and they just say, oh, we don't want to hurt our kids' confidence. It's really, they got to get themselves out of the way and put their own self-interest and their own egos and, and selfishness out of the way. Bring your team there, prepare them the best that they can. And when you walk off the field, use it as a learning example. Use it as a learning experience that you say, hey, this team obviously works hard. These kids are dedicated to improving. They're well-coached. Their families are supportive. Let's try to pull some aspects of what makes that team so good. And let's see if we can implement some of that here on our team and use it as a way to get better. That would be my message if I was that coach. 
And uh, it's just really disappointing to hear that there's youth coaches out there that would do this to the kids. It's wild that they're sheltering them. It's embarrassing. From, yeah, what else is out there? It infuriates me. Which kind of leads into the next fan question. What is your take on participation trophies? Oh, you know, I, I have to say. <laughs> here, Big sigh. I'll, and I'll tell you why. I have no problem, typically at a lot of the tournaments that we play in, the teams who make the championship game, they recognize the runner-up, you know, the team that lost in the finals, they get some sort of, you know, ring, medal, certificate, some sort of like that you participated in the championship game. And then the, the team that wins it gets a little bit more of a significant, they get a team trophy or they get, you know, a, a bigger trophy, whatever it is individually. I don't have a lot. I don't have a real issue with that. A lot of these tournaments making it to the championship, especially in some of the big ones is a pretty legitimate accomplishment in and of itself, right? So making it to the finals of a 15, 20 team tournament, you play all weekend, you battle and you end up in the final two to recognize those kids and to have those kids drive home to the game and feel like, yeah, we came up short. We didn't win the whole thing, but making it to the finals when there's all these teams and all these other, you know, families and teams that are committed to being here, like that is an accomplishment of something. So we're not driving home all losers, right? So I, I can sort <laughs> of get behind, I can sort of get behind that. I'm not a big proponent of everybody in the tournament getting a trophy everybody getting a ribbon just because they showed up like in this youth sports experiment. I think it's super important that we don't just recognize success when success isn't present. I think the kids need to understand, you know, the, the cause and effect of the time they put in the work they put in the commitment, their coaches and their families and the sacrifice and, and building their team. And then when they do go have success and they win the tournament, it's not like, well, we won it all the other 11 teams, we all got the same ribbon. So why did I put all this effort in? Why did I put all this, this time and, and commitment to my team and to my skills and my development? If everyone else got the same thing, like what makes what I did special, right? And then on the flip side, you're one of the teams that, that doesn't make the championship and you walk away and those kids say, Hey, I got, I got recognized in the same capacity, the team that won it, like what lessons are we teaching there? So I, I, I I'm not quite like the old school, you know, second place is the first loser. And if you don't win, like I'm not completely on board with that, but anybody who's not playing in the final game, like I'm not saying they're losers. I'm not saying they shouldn't continue to work hard. I just don't think we want to build a society where we're giving them trophies and recognizing them. Cause I just think hmm. again, we're teaching them that it's okay. Just whatever you're doing is good enough. The fact that you're here is a win. I don't necessarily agree with that. Like Yes, yeah. being here and trying and going for it is great, but let's continue to push because one day you want to be that team standing there with a ring or a trophy. Like, let's continue to aspire to be different. Let's continue to aspire to get better and improve. And the only way to do that, unfortunately, in society is we do create systems where some people win and some people lose. And the people who lose, if they really want to get better, they're going to put the work in and, and try to one day be the people on the other side of the, on the, other side of the coin. Yeah, losing is a motivation in and of itself. So if you're getting a trophy for losing, uh, yeah, a just, uh, losing is a motivation, and winning is is affirmation, right? Winning, winning. You put all this work, and we talk to our kids all the time. Like a big thing that I kind of embrace is we make our practices, and the, being a part of our team is very challenging, and it's hard, and we're hard on the kids. 
But then when we go have success and maybe we win the game or you play well individually or we make it to the finals, we come up short, but we have a really good weekend. When you show up to practice on Tuesday, it's like, yes, I know it's going to be hard. I know I'm going to be pushed, but look at, look at how much better I'm getting. Look at my improvement. Look how much better the team is getting. There's like, you're, you're affirming that this hard work is directly correlated to something that you desire. So by connecting those two things, you're more inclined to continue to push. You're more inclined to continue to work hard because you see the fruits of the labor. If mm. I get the, the reward, regardless of what I do, or if I see other teams get the reward and they're not nearly putting in you know, the work or they're not winning as much as us or they're not accomplishing what we are, but they get the same, maybe next week at practice, it's not as important that I keep pushing because there's really no difference between the one and the four team. We're all right. being recognized on the same level. I just, I, I, I just don't believe in that. I don't think it's the lessons we need to teach our young kids. Yep. Well, that's all the fan questions we have for this week. And you could send in any of your fan questions to Greg for him to answer on the show at Greg Olson or at Youth Inc. on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And as always, thank you guys so much for listening here to Youth Inc. Um, this episode actually wraps season one. It's been a great 10-week run. Um, we are just blown away by the response and the support of all of you. Tune in next week for the first episode of season two. We're going to get right back into it. Um, we have so much more to cover, so many more questions to respond to, so many other conversations to have. So as always, please rate, review, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. And we look forward to seeing you next week on season two of You Think. You Think.